Hello and welcome to The Brand Called You. I'm your host, Sandeep Tyagi, and the brand we are speaking with today is Manjusha Tipre. She's the co-founder and chief revenue officer of Yala Labs and co-founder and executive director of Zero Beta. She's also co-founder of Meridian Labs. She spent many years as a leader in Millennium IT and exchange technology firm, which later became known as LSEG Technologies, you know, London Stock Exchange. She lives in Princeton, New Jersey. Welcome to the show, Manjusha. Thank you, Sandeep. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and my honor to, to be speaking with you today. Um, many people find it difficult to manage one role. Uh, you are kind of competing here with uh, Elon Musk in terms of number of companies you've co-founded and are operating in. Tell us, how do they fit into your world? Where do you spend most of your time? Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my God. No, nowhere near uh, Elon Musk and the impact that he has had on this planet. And, you know, I don't even have probably the fraction of his brain cell power in my brain. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's all just started organically um, as a part of the journey from my Millennium IT LSCG technology. My current companies are all sort of coming out of the team members from there. So somewhere around 2017, um, late 2017, early 2018, uh, you know, few of us got out and we were trying to just figure out what to do next in our, our life. As we've been working together for 15 to 20 years, all of these colleagues, uh, you know, we all had ideas. And the, the two companies were born and both of them wanted me part of it. Um, they are very complementary to each other. Um, they are all in the capital market uh, life cycle that we have worked on before for two decades. So one focuses on issuance, um, trading, uh, and, and uh, matching engine. And the other one focuses on the middle office, uh, market data, collateral management. So they all fit it in quite well together. Um, similar sort of market segment, you know, fairly overlapping clients. And we all know each other for a long time. Uh, so yeah. I thought uh, that just works well for me. Um, and I have very solid founding team, you know, who... I would say, uh, take care of a lot of things. So it's not like uh, I'm trying to operate all of these companies just alone. We have executive management in place on both the companies. That's great. Uh, so you're continuing to work with your old uh, team colleagues from uh, Millennium IT days. And the two companies are in slightly different but overlapping space. Now, these are Yala and Zero Beta? That's right. Yala Labs okay. and Zero Beta. So, so tell us, um, you said that one is focused on exchange technology and the other is focused on um, middle to back office management and collateral management. Um, the, your focus has been in them, your title is revenue officer. And um, tell us a bit more about what do you do exactly? Are you the market-facing arm, building the relationships? What's your role in terms of building technology? And uh, how do you how do you kind of uh, divide your day-to-day -day focus in the companies? Yeah, so my role has always been, though I'm a computer engineer by background, a technologist in early part of my career, but uh, 
even in Millennium IT and LSCG technology, it was a market focus role that I have taken on. I have started multi-geography uh, offices for operations for Millennium IT um, and had some obviously uh, captive relationships over about two decades uh, of expanding Millennium IT into Asia, North and South America. So just took the similar role here. I look after uh, market strategy, trends, um, new technologies that are coming up and how they are going to impact our market segment. And obviously the most important thing for any startup is to start revenue, uh, get customers. So I focused on just pretty much building from zero, uh, you know, to get the revenues for both of these companies. Uh, I can't say I split my time equally. Um, yeah. It just what is where it is required is more, needed. where there is more yeah. the fire. Um, yeah, and then, and then just uh, I think at, at some some stage, we hope to scale and which is coming up now. We are fairly good scale on both the sides. So do the first round um, and, and then start recruiting the, the sales staff in both of these. And I sort of uh, go, you know, elevate my role a little bit about the actual execution. Because, Makes you know, sense. as they say, the founding team uh, and the founders are able to sell their companies the best. So you can't yeah. recruit a sales staff um, until you have had a couple of references and successes. Absolutely so, true. Yeah. We are coming um, to that stage now. <laughs> that's good to hear. Um, now, at some level, you know, exchanges and uh, technology has been, um, you know, closed book or electronic book trading, even requests for quote uh, or the methodologies through which people express uh, their demand and provide the supply information has been unchanged for a long time. Now, what changes do you see? Why do new technologies and new companies uh, need to exist? And how will they make a difference in this space? Yeah, so as, as we've seen the technological evolution, right? I've been part of uh, dating myself back a little bit, but I've been part of the evolution from trading system, moving from mainframe and nonstop to commercially ha available hardware mm -hmm. and distributed systems, right? That was the first step. Otherwise you mm -hmm. had this huge machine sitting somewhere and, and you know that's the trading engine would run on that huge machine. Uh, mm -hmm. We moved from there to smaller servers, distributed system, messaging system. And that was something that people felt wasn't possible at all, right? Mm -hmm. But that mm -hmm. actually created a fairly large opportunities for new uh, technologies and new innovations to come in. And in my previous life it, at Millennium IT, we actually literally created everything from proprietary uh, technologies for that layer, right? Middleware, distributed software system. So I see the same sort of uh, evolution of technology coming up in terms of the next gen of cloud native technology, right? The cloud is becoming very popular, but the capital markets are still not moved in there because of security, compliance, and many of the other reasons, data privacy. But that's the next step of evolution. Uh, blockchain is changing capital markets quite a bit, and we are pretty bullish on it. So. Blockchain, again, is not answer to the whole problem. Um, in terms of trading technology, market models, most of it will remain centralized. But when you talk about 
issuance, settlement, debt issuance, asset servicing. Blockchain is a really good technology, which will not, I wouldn't say it will displace all the intermediaries, but it will change the role and make them more efficient. Right? Yeah. You want to displace the intermediaries because they are there for a reason and they mutualize the risk in the entire life cycle. So you can't have a vertically integrated peer-to-peer -peer model. Um, yeah, but Though some uh, models have emerged. Let's talk about blockchain and its impact. Uh, some models have emerged where the whole exchange function is being replaced by blockchain and yeah. demand and supply is being directly met on the curve uh, with the price discovery being determined by how many people provide uh, uh, stock into or whatever asset into the exchange. Uh, like Uniswap, for example, uh, mm -hmm. I'm sure you're familiar with what's happening there. Uh, yeah. How do you see that kind of a technology, which is just basically saying you provide the information in a different form and completely disintermediate both brokers and exchange by some simply technology? You see that trend or something similar, or do you see it as mostly enabling existing business models? and making them more efficient in terms of record keeping, making them uh, more reliable, immutable. Yeah, I see the happy happy medium, right? I don't see all the current infrastructure being displaced by a technology and just machines talking to each other and doing the trading. Um, mm. I feel that the technology is good for certain things and it's not good for certain things. So when it comes to issuance and post-trade, blockchain is a fairly good given where it is today. It will evolve over a period of time, but it doesn't have the speed, transaction speed that's required in the fast moving markets, right? Mm -hmm. So the matching is not a real right use case. But if mm -hmm. you have a very liquid market where there's no liquidity, peer-to-peer -peer trading is something that can happen. So mm -hmm. the current intermediaries will change their role. Technology will bring efficiency. It will reduce the overhead that, that exists today. I mean, if you look at some of the structured debt products, right, or if you look at some of these very centralized, uh, there's so much of inefficiency there. I mean, just talk about immutable ledger, which everybody has access to, including the clearing, the re regulators and everybody. The need for reconciliation and the saving that it will bring to the capital markets industries itself justifiable for the yeah. use of that. It's yeah. going to take a long time, but I don't see the entire world changing. And, you know, I feel there's a happy medium where we'll find good use of technology where it brings efficiency. And then these if intermediaries will change their roles, but still exist because the risk doesn't go away, right? It's not technology risk. It's yeah. inherent uh, collateral and risk doesn't go away because of technology. And that's what we saw last year. Yeah, though in certain markets, which because of their uh, fragmentation, you know, I know you work um, in fixed income as well. That's one market. There are thousands, if not tens of thousands of bonds that float around. Yes. And, yes. and it's very difficult to create central markets with them because nothing has, there is no standardization on how these things can be easily traded or become interchangeable, you just have so many tickers. So it ends up being 
a OTC product where people are uh, trading through conversations and um, and accessing the liquidity in many different ways. Um, do you see a role in that information dissemination, providing transparency uh, to the marketplace differently than what has been done, particularly in OTC markets? Um, does that change? That, that does because change. Right now, the information is very fragmented. Yes, yes. Fixed income so, market, currency markets, they they tend to be mostly with large banks and uh, or desks and, uh, and the pricing is not available like they are for equities. Exactly. And opacity helps certain players in the system. So they want to keep it that way. But I think blockchain could be very useful there in terms of, especially for illiquid assets, right? There you could, A, first of all, have the registry of all of these different instruments in one single place, one single source of truth. Mm-hmm. And then their decentralized order book on the chain could be fairly useful to do the price discovery between the buyer and the seller. Yeah. Or, you know, that way, that use case is a fairly ripe one. Just some of the structured rate instruments and how many parties are involved while issuing this and then the servicing, just sending your coupon rates on the blockchain, pretty, pretty simple, right? Uh, right? You don't have to go through so many things. So those are areas I think it, the technology will bring a lot of efficiency over a period of time once it matures. Good. Well, let's uh, swing over to some of your personal journey um, and tell us a little bit on where you were born, what kind of a childhood impressions and experiences you had and um, what what shaped you uh, into becoming who you've become? Um, yeah, personal journey, very, very humble uh, beginnings, uh, Sandeep. I was born in a very small uh, village in, Indi- in India called mm-hmm. Karanja, which is in Maharashtra, um, and then uh, moved to Akola, and most of childhood is, is in Akola. Uh, my father is, was a professor of English, um, only earning member of the family. We were four sisters. My mother, my grandparents used to live with uh, me. So fairly humble and modest, but very happy childhood. Uh, very happy memories of you know uh, good times. Never mm-hmm. felt uh, we are sort of uh, not having everything in life. Uh, you know, it was always felt like a um, lot of fun, uh, playing, lot of playing with, and and just eight member us in the family, but my father was very sort of uh, education focused and he always wanted to give access to people. So nearby villages, if nobody had access to village, they could come and stay with us. So we had always like 15, 20 members in our house and, you know, lots of fun. I'm sure my mother had to cook a lot, but we used to cook <laughs> like it's a party every day. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, eight, nine guests every day on average is a big number. But, yes. but you're so right. Um, we When we grew up, uh, I think for most of us, we would relate to this uh, experience that uh, from what we have today, um, in material terms, it may look like it is very different. 
but it doesn't seem to have the same amount of impact on happiness. So interesting observation. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, you got to find something to make you feel happy. And we've always told, right, it's not somebody else's responsibility to make you feel happy. It's your responsibility. And yeah. it just had so much fun in the household doing things, right? Yes. Um, so very happy childhood, very humble, very small, small village uh, background well, and uh, <laughs> it prepared you well you've uh, come far tell us some advice that you remember uh, that you got maybe from your uh, parents or uh, family members or friends or a teacher that shaped you that you uh, that you remember oh i was in this situation and this is a conversation i had that changed my view yeah i i mean i profoundly remember three things and three three people or three men I would say very very influential in my life and they shaped my life uh, you know in terms of uh, where I am today first is my father of course always very progressive coming from a small village but you know I wanted to go to engineering college and he said yes and a lot of people said what are you doing right but he was the one who pushed so his, his advice to me was, hey, do the right thing, no matter what, whatever the difficult situation comes into front, take the, the call based on what feels right to you as your gut level, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then my husband, again, very progressive man, uh, pushed me to, to follow my career throughout my life, even though when kids were small, it used to feel really hard sometimes and feel uncomfortable. And he would be like, just Start getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's a growth. It's not, it's not That's something. That's a good quote. Start getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. So he he's the second one. And third one, my uh, first boss, my uh, founding CEO at, at Millennium IT, um, mm -hmm. Tony Veerasinghe. You know, so we were a small startup then, pretty much in the garage, and we would go out and compete with the big incumbents like the NASDAQ technology and IC technology. And I would complain when something goes wrong that, Tony, we don't have these, these guys are spending so much money on marketing. Then he told me once, like, Manjusha, if you go to a war, you're not going to say, right, that guy has AQ-47 and I don't have a gun, I'm going to die. You got to fight. So mm -hmm. that stick with me throughout and, you know, sort of helped me go and fight. So those three things, I think, shaped me really, really well in terms of taking yeah. on the world. <laughs> yeah. Learnings come from uh, all directions. Um, another one source for many of us is the school of hard knocks. Did you sometime uh, remember failing at something that shaped your view and has made you into a stronger leader? Yeah, I mean, I guess there are lots of failures, right? In, in, in personal, professional life, um, the one that I remember, and I don't know whether I would call it a failure today, but um, so I got out of my engineering college and that was the first year Air Force, Indian Air Force was opening up for female oh. uh, engineering batch. Mm -hmm. So I applied and I was so keen that I'm going to go and the whole entire family is up in the arms and, you know, you, you can't be going to Air Force and, you know, where will you stay? Where will you be deployed? We don't know. And I am like, I was so adamant and so stubborn on it that I, am, I will be the first person out there to go and join the Indian Air Force. Uh, and uh, ultimately, I applied. My, my father again stood 
behind me and sent me there. We went for a Dehradun training camp and initial screening happened and a lot of initial things I cleared. And finally I got at the physical level and, you know, I was not qualified <laughs> because oh. uh, mm. physically, you know, not uh, strong enough or not uh, probably underweight and many criterias didn't match yeah. up. So that felt like the, the end of life kind of failure mm. then. Hmm. Looking back, I guess it all worked out. Uh, yeah. Uh, and did you take life. that feedback and kind of started working out and training? Yes, and... yes. Started getting a little stronger, started, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, good. That's uh, an interesting learning. Now, I'm going to transition to yet another section. Uh, I call it on the spot. So okay. <laughs> I'll ask you a bunch of quick questions and uh, whatever pops into your head is the right answer. So don't worry too much. And just to get to know you better, who do you think is the best entrepreneur ever? Um, tie, tie for me between Elon Musk and Steve Jobs. Okay. Um, if you could meet a historical figure for dinner, who would you like to meet and what would you talk about? Um, Ahilya Bai Horkar. Okay, well, tell us. I don't think a lot of people know much about her. So tell us what yeah, would be... So she's, she's the first uh, woman in the 17th century. She was a queen of the small uh, Maharashtrian empire. And she actually opened up uh, education and she did a lot of re reform for women. She opened up education for women. She's the first woman who got educated herself and then opened that up. Uh, she also, uh, you know, created a law for remarrying uh, the widows, widows in India. So at that point in time to take on these issues and, you know, fight for them, uh, despite fear of losing your family and society and everything, I just feel like that courage is something so unbelievable. And it paved the way for, you know, girls like me today. So I, I, yeah. I would love to talk to yeah. her about how she did it and how she got that courage from where she got it. <laughs> okay. Um, what is your biggest concern about the state of the world today? Uh, I think my concern today, I'm, I mean, I'm a technologist, so I'm fascinated by the way the world is changing because of technologies, but my concern is the societal impact that it may have, uh, you know, in, in terms of humanity, I think before we get to the happy stage where machines will start doing all the work and we'll get a universal basic income, mm -hmm. um, there is going to be a fair amount of turbulence. There are going to be people left behind in this uh, skill gap, you know? So I, I fear for that and see what can be done. It would be a fairly large problem for somebody me like to make much of a difference, but I, I keep thinking about it all the time. Hmm. So um, the last one of this, if you had a three hour meeting that suddenly got canceled and you have a free afternoon, what would you do? I would go for a walk with my husband, provided he's available <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I would go for a walk. Out, I love outdoors. Uh, go for a walk or a bike ride. Uh, we have some beautiful trails around here um, yeah. by the canal. So, yeah, that 
that that's would be what, huh? physical <laughs> activity outdoors perfect um i uh, wanted to ask you about something else i know you're going to be you're active in thai and uh, you are also going to be taking over as uh, thai president in new york um tell us more what does it mean to you how do you see it as part of uh, your portfolio of things that uh, you give your time and energy to how does it fit in and and what plans do you have thai is for me is is basically thai's motto which sort of really came close to my heart is fostering the next generation of entrepreneurs right um i wouldn't say i have made it and i'm still on my journey but having got the learnings that i have got in the process i would like to pass it on to the next generation it's also giving back right so again growing up um i saw my father even though he had to take care of such a big family he had a job he would still give couple of hours of his day you know give doing something for the society so that kind of again you know is ingrained in me that you got to give back at no matter what stage in life and tag gives me that perfect uh, platform to because it fosters entrepreneurship for the next generation so i could do some contribution there excellent well thank you um last question what is brand manjusha tipre in your own words um making a positive impact you know whatever i do i would like to whether it's uh, through my companies to the market technology or at the family or the community service if i can touch upon multiple lives and make some positive impact on everybody's life i would be happy with that brand okay well there you have it manjusha to pray always positive and creating value thank you so much thank you sandeep it was such a pleasure thank you for listening to the brand called you video cast and podcast a platform that brings you knowledge experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals you can also follow us on youtube facebook instagram and twitter just search for the brand called you